rebels with the cars. Sitting in the shrine, talking dirty to the guys. My nigga, we beat the odds. Rebels with the cars. Sitting in the shrine, talking dirty to the gods. Yeah, we beat the odds. Rebels with the cars. Sitting in the shrine, talking dirty to the gods. My nigga, we beat the odds. Rebels with the cars. Sitting in the shrine, talking dirty to the Welcome back to Black Hoodie Alchemy, folks. Thank you for joining me. I'm your host, Anthony Tyler, and today we're going to talk about uh, the concept of personal mythology. We might leave more of the methodology and practice for other episodes. And um, so we're basically going to focus on the concept, but the concept and practice are not new topics to this uh, to this show in general. This is more so putting a large highlighted emphasis on a recurring theme that uh, this show wouldn't really function without. A personal mythology is something extremely important, and I think um, it's something that we're all innately very familiar with, but people... um, It's not extremely... It's not an extremely common mindset to have this readily available as a mindset uh, that you can access. It's something we more slip into without differentiating unless we know, unless we can recognize it real quick before we get more into that though. I just want to say it seems like everyone really enjoyed the goblin universe overview. So I'm uh, I'm happy to see that because um, Ted holiday is a dude that um in the 14 community deserves you know I, i've said it before his work was a bit unsung and um it seems like it's coming back around a little bit and ap strange and uh soraya Azkath are very dope dudes enjoy their company quite a bit that was a very dense conversation i don't think there's a single uh topic in the Fortean unexplainable community that we didn't cover in that episode of damn near three hours long. And it got to play on uh Soraya's radio broadcast, Where Did the Road Go as well, over in New York, um, and then also online. So that was awesome. Go check that out if you haven't. This episode is sort of on the heels of that um contextually, not just literally. Because it seemed like in a lot of ways, um, Ted Holliday was trying to sift through his own personal mythology while writing that Goblin Universe book. And don't forget, you can check out my website, divemind.net. You know, I'm on uh, Twitter if you want to link up, divemind667. You can find me on Instagram, Black Hoodie Alchemy. Um, over on Instagram, you can uh, actually put somewhat larger videos. So uh, I started putting some... Um, some cheeky, fun little bits um, of starring the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Um, and if you missed that, uh, some of those updates there. Uh, Steve Berg, comedian uh, from Drunk History and Bob's Burgers and all sorts of shit, um, actually guested on the show recently. You can find that episode 51. I also have a TikTok now, uh, but I swear it is purely for the video editing purposes. My girlfriend um, convinced me 
to download it for that. And I will say TikTok is pretty useful for um, its certain features. So you can also find me on TikTok if you want. Um, I po- I'm posting videos there because I'm using it to edit and I might as well just also post them. I don't really feel like I'm going to put a whole lot of philosophy on TikTok. I just don't take TikTok seriously. I don't take social media seriously. TikTok, I take the least serious of all. And I just, uh, the only way I can take any bit of TikTok seriously for myself in any capacity is if it's just purely bullshit humor. Anyway, enough of all that. This idea of personal mythology, there are several books. Um, I'm not going to read a bunch of quotes this episode. This is a little more impromptu. This is a subject I'm deeply familiar with. But rest assured, there, you know, there's a lot more, there will be a lot more um content in this specific subject to uh parse through. And uh yeah, that time will probably come when we get to that. But uh certain books like especially um Memories, Dreams, Reflections. You know, the memoir that Jung, uh, Carl Jung wrote before he died, uh, very much showing the scope of his own personal mythology. You read that first, get the feel for Jung's mindset. That's a very accessible, it's dense, but it's a very accessible book. I recommend that for anyone that's just you know trying to dip their toe in the waters of Jung. And then you know, if if you're unfamiliar with Jung, you read that first, Memories, Dreams, Reflections. Then you go to Man and His Symbols, which is a sort of um, linear encyclopedia of a lot of his work. And then if you want to stick with the specific theme of personal mythology, you go to the Red Books, the Red Book, and then the Black Books. The Red Book is um, Jung's personal diary artistic um with you know paintings and calligraphy and it uh encapsulated the visionary states that he went into during meditations and um and hypnosis sessions and his accounts of synchronicity and how these things boiled over from his dreams and art and everything else into his regular life and how he sifted through that in um, at least one specific time amounting to a full-blown emotional crisis. There's also the book Hamlet's Mill, an essay investigating the origins of human knowledge and its transmission through myth. An essay, I guess maybe you could kind of call it that, but it's like depending on the, the edition of print, like at least 500 pages, so it's huge. Now, Hamlet's Mill by Giorgio di Santillana and Hertha von Deschend was a book that is, you know, debated. The contents of it can certainly be uh, debated on a on a point for point scale. Um, it came out in the seventies or the sixty uh, nine. It looks like initially, um, and yeah, it, it, you know, without going into a lot of the detail it the uh the subtitle of the book encapsulates it pretty well um how we are using mythology to transmit heuristic principles whether they be cause and effect um empirical observations around us or something boiling down to more superstitious 
you know, myths bridge that gap. They encapsulate both of those things. And that's why they're still relevant today. And that's why we have to sift through them. So when you start to look at mythology as this tangible, tangible in the sense that, you know, it's around us in form, you know, we could look at it in print paperback and whatever. Mythology is something that lives and breathes around us. Um, just like, you know, the stories, not just mythology, the stories in general. And in fact, when I say mythology throughout this episode, there's a there's an emphasis on historical mythology, but I really do mean in the broadest sense of just storytelling, because um, you could potentially use different words. You potentially should use different words just to be uh, clear, but in the context of all this, there is no differentiation from the alchemical mindset. All of these stories that we tell each other are a piece of a, a, of a mythology. And as we will progress further, um, I think it's very clear that the mechanisms of our own ego are our own personal mythology. And part of investigating that is uprooting that and undermining that so that it doesn't control us. And this doesn't mean obliterating it. You know, the ego is a tool, you know, in that classical sense. I'm not talking about like Chad ego, but like the ego in the psychological Freudian sense. It's a tool. And um, it is something that can rule you if you're not careful. And that's why so much Eastern mentality emphasizes, you know, uh, quieting the ego and uprooting it. But there's a lot of new age hype around like ego death and ego liberation. Um, liberation isn't really a bad term to use. Ego death is extremely silly, though. The idea of killing your ego um, that's, you know, what happens to schizophrenics. So I wouldn't recommend that. And in fact, what you're really looking for, you're not looking for an ego death. Um, I wouldn't even necessarily use the term liberation, although, like I said, I think that's much better. I would just simply call it a transcendence. So there's Hamlet's Mill. There's also, there's also a book that came out in the 90s initially, maybe late 80s. Uh, called Personal Mythology, Using Ritual, Dreams, and Imagination to Discover Your Inner Story. And uh, written by David Feinstein, uh, PhD, and Stanley Krippner. It's been a long time since I've read this book, or Hamlet's Mill for that matter, but um, I remember this book being very insightful to me. This is a book that you could probably find in New Age sections, but... This is where the term new age becomes um, dicey and, I don't know, too broad, I guess you could say, because this is a genuinely fascinating book. It's very much, oh yeah, um, lest we not forget Joseph Campbell, The Hero with a Thousand Faces, uh, Personal Mythology 101. Um, I would go into further detail about that, but Hey, pretty much everyone knows that one. And if you don't, you've heard of it a little bit. Just Google it and you've definitely heard some bits and pieces of it. It's influential to um, psychology today. I don't think there's any branch of psychology that would completely dismiss the uh, uh, Joseph Campbell's work, which is completely inspired by Carl Jung, if you didn't know. 
so this personal mythology book is very much in that same vein of in a categorical systemic empirical way you can see the building blocks of analytic psychology and how engaging with these symbols that our consciousness that our life you know stokes within us we can find a whole lot more about ourselves and we can uh, find out which you know sometimes we don't even know how to differentiate what what uh, the plants and the weeds are of our psyche just learning how to differentiate the two knowing what to let die off or uproot and what to let flourish is a, a huge part and um this book is uh really systemic it's step by step and if you read this book and then you go back to something like memories dreams reflections it's going to be a real eye-opener for you and for the record as i'm seeing here it looks like the book personal mythology has two different uh subtitles depending on its print uh, the other subtitle is the psychology of your evolving self but as i understand it um these are the same books i'm actually stumbling upon this now so i don't know if they're not the same books they're companion pieces because they're written by the exact same guys and i, I doubt that they would name two books the exact same thing minus the subtitles so and just notes there if you get confused so and as a bow on top i don't care if you're tired of me talking about it i will drill this into every single person's brain listening until it becomes just common knowledge we're as close to that as we can get from uh from my standpoint here what i can output um let's remember vs ramachandran's phantoms in the brain uh they tricked their phantom limb pain out of existence by placing the reflection of their intact limb where their missing limb was he did many studies with this it's not placebo they knew that the it was just a reflection but it still worked and also um you don't have to have phantom limb pain by being an amputee you can be born without your limbs and still experience it so there's there's this whole thing because magic is is uh, you know an illusion um you know in the stage magic sense and there's always that what if uh you know that's part of the mystique of magic um in general whether you're talking about you're going out further like seances or ouija boards all these things are what ifs and you could see them going either way if you have an open mind and maybe you know for me stuff like that a lot of times is a case-by-case -case basis because i do think that um things can come from stuff like that with with certain intentions and the right preconditions well anyways the what if is not a factor here people get caught up in that like if if i can't see the logical value of god as a as a general example how can i get any anything out of it well you don't have to have um you know a standard view of god for that matter you could take it in the Jungian sense that the the symbol of god represents something greater that we could not understand and it's probably not as literal as an actual god but that doesn't mean that it it represents something completely superfluous and meaningless 
And that also doesn't mean that it can be explained from our human vantage point currently, for that matter. But it is a is it's a symbol. It's not literal. And you can have a, a Gnostic interpretation. Uh, you don't have to think that God is um, always in it for your best interest, per se. But engaging with these aspects, it doesn't matter if you don't believe in God. Humans have been absolutely fascinated and even hell-bent in some ways on the idea of God. So it is embedded in your psyche, just like everyone else's. Probe it. Take your personal approach to what God is. Don't shy away from it. You can even keep it from an atheistic perspective if you're a total skeptic and play that thought experiment. If I did believe in God and I didn't have to subscribe to some preconceived notion, what would that God look like to me? These are important aspects of probing the personal mythology, doing things like dream incubation, you know, meditating on a concept before you go to sleep without any exterior stimulus. Meditate on that concept as you drift into sleep and focus on it from a third person perspective. Get your ego out of it. Focus on observing the situation like a remote viewy kind of thing. It may not work the first time. We don't remember our dreams every night. But if you keep doing this, you have questions. You have topics that you'd like to probe. You'll get answers. You will sit down, you know, and paint. Don't have an I don't don't have a concept of what you want to paint. Just simply have a concept of what you want to express. It's the same thing that uh, people get value out of tarot cards for. It's a it's a randomized assortment that you get the ability you get the opportunity to insert yourself in there and the juxtaposition of the two is what makes an interesting effect essentially the cards in and of themselves are not anything particularly useful um and oftentimes nor is your brain unless you have something to gauge it with hence why we shouldn't completely obliterate the ego and and just lose ourselves in a schizophrenic collective consciousness um together you know three is the magic number you have two things causing the combination get something extra and i can give it um the other cherry on top by helping you all recall the the best takeaways from any freemasonic knowledge are some masons elitist sure yeah um do we see corruption in freemasonry sure but um each lodge is run like a church they're very separate um they they vary quite a bit and the core function of masonry if nothing else is a self-empowerment a self-discovery tool the idea that not only because it did start with actual masons brick masons and there are a shitload of brick masons that are freemasons still to this day i can assure you i've been a bricklayer before and did it for like a year in the union i i talked to many masons who didn't know a fucking thing about alchemy or manly p hall i assure you so there's a lot of different masons out there freemasons point being when you get into the esoteric philosophical side of masonry you see that life, your mind, body, and spirit 
are the bricks with which you build your temple to pay homage to the cosmos. And you build that temple brick by brick. Those bricks are the pieces of your personal mythology. Or for another metaphor, um, they are the ingredients at your alchemist workbench. This is why in so ma- I'm so fascinated with people like John Keel and Ted Holliday, Fortean investigators, because unexplainable investigation in general, that whole coast-to-coast motif, I see it very much as an active exploration of mythology. And that doesn't mean I think it's all completely fictitious. Um, As we can see, I've laid out in many cases throughout the episodes, there is plenty of evidence to show that uh, physical effects can come from non-physical causes. Doesn't mean we have explanations for it, um, but we can't deny it. And it does seem quite possible, especially given um, psychological proven phenomena like mass hysteria and all these other things that given enough momentum a personal mythology can mimetically virally replicate and spread rapidly from person to person and create something that um starts to become a lot more real than maybe it is maybe it starts to actually bend the definitions of reality Where do we draw the line between some sort of genuine manifestation and a bad eyewitness account? Let's let's tiptoe into this territory here. Let's say someone sees a Bigfoot in the woods. Maybe they didn't see an actual Bigfoot. Maybe they saw a bear on its hind legs. And they couldn't tell the difference because of all these circumstances. That person's convinced they saw a Bigfoot. Um, archetypally speaking, mythologically speaking, they might as well have. They're going to start going through all the motions of was that real, was that not? Um, the mystique of the esoteric side of things, questioning fundamental aspects of their reality that they uh, just moments ago took for granted. Am I crazy? Am I not? What was that? So in some sense, regardless of if they saw the bear, the mythology of Bigfoot is just as real as it ever was. It has a tangible physical reaction. And let us not forget that um, so many, it, it I don't know how many, but I know it is a Native American belief, specifically in the Pacific Northwest, that Bigfoot was a spirit of the wilderness. It was never physical to begin with. So maybe in many cases, even if people aren't seeing a bear, they're seeing something that is so deeply embedded in their minds that given the right preconditions, they saw something that, you know, wouldn't have been there if no one was able to, if no one was there to see it. In this case, if a tree falls in the forest is no and, and no one is there to see it, it, it didn't happen. I might have lost some people here. But I know the real heads out there have followed. When we're talking about if uh, if Bigfoot is too out there for you, consider the idea of Ares, the god of war. They don't. It doesn't have to be a literal god of war lording over all the wars. It's just the very concept of war itself. That is the god Ares. That is the god war itself. And Bigfoot 
is that is Bigfoot there, the mystery of the wilderness. That is Bigfoot itself. Nessie, that is Nessie itself. You know, we talked about in the last episode um, how Ted Holliday went out with Reverend Donald Ormond and literally tried to exercise Loch Ness from the negative energy entity spirits around it. Um, and an interesting semantic that AP Strange uh, brought up in that conversation was that they weren't actually trying to exercise Loch Ness from Nessie or Nessie from Loch Ness, rather. That was a possibility. What they were trying to do was um, do some sort of uh, very like chaos, magical Catholic exorcist inspired ritual to banish anything that was attached to the lock. Um, and they were even, uh, you know, interested in the theory that Nessie was literally a ghost from a plesiosaur. Yeah, let that sink in. I mean, it's not entirely impossible, right? And we'll get into a commercial break here pretty soon. But um, suffice it to say, I'll get into some um, some more of this. But, you know, if you want a deep dive into my own personal mythology, um, not in terms of, uh, you know, force feeding you my life story, but emphasis on how I probed it and, you know, the motifs, the central themes, the revelations. Uh, you can check out my book, Dive Manual. You can also check out Hunt Manual, but Dive Manual specifically in this case, I feel like, especially for the more cathartic, therapeutic, transcendental sense, um, you know, all of this, none of this is relegated to the sages that have, you know, spent their whole lives studying this. Everyone has the capacity to do this. All you have to do is take the time to dive in. No pun intended. And part of my reason, the biggest reason for writing Dive Manual was because it was so hard for me to wrap my head around this idea of personal mythology that writing it helped contextualize it, not just for me or not just for others, but for myself. I got a whole different vantage point from writing that book about the scale of what was going on inside of me. And it, it, instead of that being an emphasis on myself, I wanted the emphasis. And I think it, it carried over quite well from any reviews I've gotten. Um, I wanted the emphasis to be on the investigation part. So anyway, let's go into a commercial break. This is Black Hoodie Alchemy. I'm Anthony Tyler. We're talking about personal mythology and the investigation of. We'll be right back after uh, these commercial breaks. Some men see things as they are and say why. I dream things that never were and say why not. Infamously known as light bearer, Mike Shredder with will and dedication. I embody the truth that is concealed in every nation, building every matrix, the code revealed in every ancient civilization, the caveman, the station, yeah. military bases, missionary spaces. I'm the human genome project, covering the government and the truth that we own lodges. We home projects that will soon to be hold hostage, that blind you from the proof of the future's renowned concepts. We clone objects that's positioned to hypnotize your individualism and makes your mind up. His and hit 
minder. I'm every bullet that's in the sniper. Ain't that Kennedy to mystery filmies of Philip Snyder? Just a twist and blind you and hide the truth and move in your eyelids. Hide the footage, disguises, always full of surprises. If you look in the skies, if you really wanna see it, it's right in front of your eyes. Don't you motherfuckers believe it? Nope, not at all. You constricted to the movement, you dumb fucks. You really are conditioned to the music. The money in the drugs, the jury in the fashion. You're merely just a fraction. What's really in the action? Mass murderers, famine plague, never minimize. If you listen, then you can decide whether you live or die. But there's a weak spot in this blueprint of mine. But ignorance is bliss, bitch, it's genocide. Question everything, nothing is real, it's all stage. So don't stray, cause if you believe it, then you fall prey. You let the song play with these eyes. I can clearly see that they breathe lies. That's why we question everything, cause nothing is real, it's all stage. So don't stray, cause if you believe it, then you fall prey. You let the song play with these eyes. I can clearly see that they breathe lies. Dang old man, uh, dang old man, uh, listen here, y'all, this is, uh, your, your good, good old boy friend, uh, and, uh, your good old friend that's a boy, not a boyfriend, uh, Tippy Pat's in here, and, you know, from all them Black Hoodie Alchemy episodes, and I'm just here to, uh, tell y'all about, uh, some of the great commentaries that have been going on on this program with the good old Anthony Tyler. Um, we've done some great episodes, uh, just like, uh, Richard the, uh, Abominable Snowman, Kuklinski, the Jewish locksmith known as Israel Keys, uh, the Puerto Rican Batman known as Pedro Rodriguez Filho, and dang old Macaulay Culkin's gay murderous brother, Michael Alleg. And, and a whole lot more, y'all. So why don't you go on, tune in, and uh, check them Black Hooded Alchemy episodes out. Don't forget, I'm Tippy Patson of the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. And I hope to dango hear from y'all soon. Consciousness. Bloody infinite potential. Peering into the mind of the gods. Wanking off a dolphin. Hello everybody, it's your good old friend Silverback Commando. Um, studier of a NASA funded scientist and uh, dolphin wanker extraordinaire uh, John Lilly. Um, a true story, you can look it up for yourself if you like to. And uh, I'm just here to share with some of you uh, the wisdom from my notebook. I got a lot of good uh, bits and pieces of poetry and um, uh, philosophical knowledge, if you will. And I'd like to share some of it with you. Death quiets universal bliss. Culture shapes formless destiny. Non-judgment expresses intricate timelessness. Oh, I like this one. It's very poetic. Perceptual reality uh, corresponds to precious chaos. Indeed. Experiential truth 
is rooted in cosmic abstract beauty. Indeed, indeed. Our consciousness serves visible choices. And, uh, so true, mate. And I'll end it on this one. This is my favorite. Good health is the womb of dimensionless knowledge. Indeed, um, you know, I bloody hope you learned a thing or two. Reading from me notebook here. No, I appreciate. I sure do appreciate you having a bit of a, of a meditation with me. It's been a good old time. Uh, take it easy, everybody. It's been uh, your silverback commando, and uh, don't forget that um, matter unfolds into personal genes. Don't forget it. Hello there. Yes, hello there. Uh, it's your friend, uh, Steve Buscemi, a.k.a. Jefferson Tillamook Slinger. And uh, I'm also a classy movie critic. Uh, but today I'm here to briefly tell you children out there or listening to this Black Alchemy podcast that uh, there's a lot of people out there that... that uh, they think that Alex Jones and the late comedian Bill Hicks are, are different people. And I'm here to tell you that they are the same people. And I mean, I have some sh some slides to show you here. Uh, just li look, look at his cheeks. Look at their cheeks side by side. And, uh, and just tell me that, th that those cheeks don't look so similar. Uh, now, look at their eyeballs and their hairline. The, the eyeballs, the cheeks, and the hairline is the same person, okay? Anybody out there, you're getting duped. Wake up, sheeple. Bill Hicks is Alex Jones. This has been Steve Buscemi, and uh, I've just, I just wanted to drop a little bit of a truth bomb on you today. Um, <coughs> and uh, here's a little bit of a life hack for you. Um, if you ever ha uh, wake up and um, you have stray hairs going all over the place, you know how that goes. All you gotta do is just stop washing your hair and it just sticks to your head. So, you know, problem solved. Urge matey. It's me, Apex Monsoon, and I am a cosmic ghost pirate. I'm a little pissed at you all. Um, no one has been buying any of my fine quality, handcrafted, spiced Caribbean rum. I even put the good stuff in there. It was, uh, the spice was that kind of synthetic marijuana that you would get from the gas stations back in the day. The really good stuff. And no one bought it. God damn you people. What the God damn you people. You know, I've been, uh, to sail the seven cosmic seas and I've done a whole lot of cool shit. And I don't need this. But, um... You know, all the other guys have cool things to talk about. Like, Bill Hicks is Alex Jones. What? That's pretty sweet. And also, I don't have a notebook of cool shit to talk about. So, in the meantime, I'm just selling everyone else's stuff. 
That's right. You can get Silverback Commandos, Dolphin Glue, and Hair Gel at a discount price. And you can also get my Cosmic Space Pirate Dolphin Tarot Deck that no one seemed to buy. And you can get all the bottles of my Caribbean Spiced Pirate Rum seasoned with the K2 spice from the gas stations of your matey. Of your And uh, you can also buy um, all the Walkman and VHS tapes that your little sailor heart desires of muscle combat, alligator combat safety, and hook hand training tactics. And I mostly taught him all of that shit, so it's basically mine. But you know what? I, like I said, I don't need this. I'm pretty cool without all, all of uh, all of the 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 money and accolades that I was hoping to get from you. So don't even worry about it. Arg! God damn it! I'm a pirate anyway. Salutations, Protendo. It is I, Muscle Tornado, and as always. I just finished polishing off a sweet, sweet bowl of dimethyltryptamine. And uh, before that, I just finished watching uh, the new Fast and Furious movie. Uh, Let me tell you, I was astonished to find how much sacred geometry and um, important esoteric symbols were found throughout the Fast and Furious movies, Broham. So listen to me when I tell you that um, I'm extremely convinced now that uh, Vin Diesel is the true shepherd of the Aeon of Horus. You see, um, the Aeon of Horus is all about finding one's true will. And I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Pitch Black, um, but it's pretty cool. And uh, Vin Diesel, he can't see in the light. It's crazy. So, go see Pitch Black, dude. Um, and then go see uh, the new Fast and Furious movie and learn, um, go to YouTube and learn how to do gematria, you know, uh, uh, ancient numerology. And uh, we'll, uh, it, it'll, it'll, all of this will make perfect sense. Uh, this has been Muscle Tornado, over and out. Plasma is moving at the speed of thought My speech is leaking out your speaker box The rhythm is changing like seasons at the equinox I don't believe in cops, they bullshit and evil plots They shot Michael Brown in Ferguson where people watch The streets is lost, neighborhoods on weed and chotch Now they can keep you locked if you even cop You'll be sleeping in a FEMA cot where the beats and demons walk Dump you for speaking sob, kill you for beacon off A lot of loud voices fell dead asleep in shock Future leaders snuff, trying to save the seeds and crops Lightning strikes, a broken heart it bleeds and stops Chemtrails through night skies As jets speed across Piano keys Theme songs for your anarchies Lend me your ears And your fears Oh humanity How can we escape From this face so damaging Always stand for something So we won't fall for anything Welcome back to Black Hoodie Alchemy folks Thanks for sticking with me Through that commercial break I'm Anthony Tyler And we are talking about Personal mythology we spend uh, the first portion of this episode kind of breaking down what that even means. I think it's fairly self-explanatory, but it does deserve some further explanation. Now I'd like to give you an example. 
And like I said, you can go check out my book, Dive Manual. You can also check out Hunt Manual, uh, which is more of an investigation of the shadow mythology, if you will. And, uh, you know, so many episodes, alchemy in general has so much to do with this topic. So, but here's a very specific example. Uh, and, you know, bear with me. Um, here's the thing about uh, personal stories. You know, there's the trope about like how dreams are boring. No one wants to hear anyone else's dreams, which I think is not quite true. You know, if you're a mystical mindset, you understand dreams you know, even if they don't have relevance to you per se, I think for me, I enjoy, I don't want to hear too many dreams, but I enjoy hearing a good dream or two because it's a, it's a peek behind the veil a little bit. And so it's, it's the same thing with everybody's personal mythology and not everyone is going to get it. That's why it's personal. You know, it's your, your own burning bush type thing. Like no one else was there to see it. No one else is there to get it. It's just your word. And, you know, it's in a lot of cases, it's not going to be relevant to anybody else. So there's no context for them. It's just like showing a song that was deeply impactful to you to someone else. And they're just in a completely different headspace. So it doesn't matter to them. There's nothing wrong with that. It, it just, it is what it is. It's part of the human experience. But this is a story that is personal to me that I think it actually is enjoyable to listen to. So bear with me <laughs> for any buildup that sounds boring um, or like unnecessary. I'm also going to not like I haven't before, but reveal my age to you. Well, you know, some oftentimes people are surprised. I'm only 27. Um, I've been doing this. I've been interested in this for a solid decade now, diligently. And it was out of necessity. You know, I was just on a bad track um from an early age and i was i don't know blessed i guess to be self-aware enough to recognize it and and because i was suffering so much and i was tired i want i saw other people living relatively normal lives that weren't constantly tumultuous and i said well there's got to be a way i can make it there and i very much have for many years now it's always an ongoing process. Nothing's ever complete, but I've seen leaps and bounds of progress by sticking to these principles. And so when I was four years old, it was the year 2000, my family went to a barbecue where the adults were hanging out and uh, there weren't too many children. I think the children there, I wasn't too interested in anyway. So they ended up sticking me. I think it was just me in a room, in a bedroom, to watch a Scooby-Doo movie. Super harmless, right? No, it doesn't get super dark here. No, I wasn't uh, abused or anything like that. Um, but it is traumatic, surprisingly enough. Now, this movie in 1998 came out, uh, Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island. This is a weird, weird, awesome movie. I actually genuinely recommend you go check it out it's not it's not interstellar but it is truly in my opinion and the opinion of many other people out there it's kind of a cult classic and it's a cartoon um it's the best piece of scooby-doo media ever made at least in like the modern time if you know maybe the originals they're in a place of their own because they're the original but 
this is the best modern Scooby-Doo period. And it has to do um, with the, the gang has since disassembled and Daphne is now a reporter doing a show called coast to coast with Daphne Blake coast to coast. Um, and that is not a coincidence. This whole thing is a huge wink and a nod to ghost hunting and the unexplainable and Fortean investigators at large. It's awesome. Um, and she's going around. She she has this interview in the beginning where she talks about she was tired of just seeing things in masks, and she's trying to hunt down more legitimate, unexplainable phenomena. And Fred is her cameraman. Uh, Scooby and Shaggy are like airline security. Um, and Velma is writing true crime or mystery novels. I think it might be mystery novels. They all get back together and they go to New Orleans because, you know, the gang's got to get back together for a Scooby-Doo movie. And in New Orleans, they meet this woman who brings them to a small island very close off the coast. Moonscar Island. And this island, long story short, is this is where the movie takes a turn because this movie, every other Scooby-Doo piece of media, for the most part, um, is all based on practical reasons for the monsters being there. It's people in masks, essentially. Um, and this is the only piece of media where everything they run into is genuinely supernatural. The the women who brought them to this island are voodoo priestesses. They're 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 white. Um, it's it's not strictly called voodoo i don't believe i can't remember but um it what happens is the a long time ago like a hundred something years ago these women's families get butchered by these pirates so they end up praying to this cat god and becoming a, and, and sacrificing like or something um and become immortal were cats they look actually pretty terrifying and they have these uh they have voodoo dolls and altars and all this stuff so it's it and it's in new orleans area so it's it's voodoo and these women lure the gang here to ritually sacrifice them to the cat god i'm not kidding you i'm not fucking joking um and there they also meet real zombies the zombies i'm not i'm not going to spoil the whole movie for you this this isn't spoilers anyway but i'm not going to there's actually some pretty unique complex character work here um and uh, zombies come out of the woodwork there <clears throat> and it's this whole thing where there's even poltergeists there's even poltergeist activity and ghosts and none of it has a rational explanation it's all just genuine and even at the end without spoiling anything because obviously the gang survives um there there's no evidence so just like the best stories um even the most compelling we don't have enough evidence to corroborate every detail so it's a big what if and so it even wraps back into the scooby-doo universe no big revelations or um you know, fictional world game changers, because other than their own personal 
experiences. How about that? That kind of ties in, huh? But it doesn't stop there. Because I was still watching this movie as a four-year-old in a darkly lit room because I was tired of being at a barbecue. And I thought, as one would, that every Scooby-Doo movie bit of media has a rational explanation. And when they, there's a scene where they try to pull the mask off of this zombie and the head comes off, burned into my brain because at that moment, monsters were real. The ontology of the whole situation was just flipped on its head. And suddenly the implication was horrifying to my four-year-old brain. If, if, if the Scooby-Doo monsters could be real, then monsters in general could be real at that point. Never in my mind, adults had always said that monsters weren't real. And Scooby-Doo was even a great example of that. So to see one of the best examples my small young brain had become completely uprooted, it destroyed me. <laughs> it It did. I I watched the whole movie. I came out absolutely horrified. And I, I, you know, I was telling my dad, the monsters are real. The monsters are real. He didn't understand what I was talking about. I actually got out. I managed to explain to him some of the story. Like, well, it's just a movie. It's obviously not real. And then of course he gets mad at his friend, not in a real way, but just like, what the hell, man? What'd you show my kid? (laughs) The one random Scooby-Doo movie, the only Basically, the Scooby-Doo piece of media that should not exist, but thankfully does. It's like from an alternate universe almost. And this ruined me. I was so terrified. It was deeply embedded in my brain that the only way that my dad was able to rid me of this horror was to tell me this great little magical trick. Um, He told me that Lysol, since it kills germs, also kills monsters. So he would spray my closet and he would spray under my bed any night that I was scared. And it really helped. But you know what's even more, or just, I don't know, an an additional interesting bit to that, that I, I only really put it together recently, actually, this part. But after that, I ended up developing a severe germophobia. So severe that there's one story my mother tells me where she first noticed that I was a germaphobe concretely where I'm playing in the sandbox outside with my sister, who's a couple years younger than me. So she's like two, I'm like four, maybe, you know, push that forward a year, maybe. Um, And every 15 minutes, I'm going out of the sandbox to wash my hands. And I actually do remember this memory. I probably remember it because I noticed my mother's curiosity in her face. Because it seems so logical to me. I was just, I thought, cumulative dirt. If I wash my hands incrementally, then I won't have to, I don't know, spend as much time or effort or take the risk of having cumulative dirt. I don't know, Uh, but that spiraled more into straight up germophobia to the point where my parents had to take me to a pediatrician when I was five and a half years old or so. And that pediatrician had to convince me that living in a bubble 
like the boy in the bubble, the movie was not going to be practical or useful. And it wasn't something that I was going to enjoy because at that point I was pretty interested in living in a bubble. Actually, like I, that was the words I used. And um, I could see that it was all so official. You know, we had driven out to the doctor. This guy was in a coat. He was very official. My parents were there. I clearly knew that they didn't want me to live in a bubble, especially at this point. So I said, okay, okay. I don't want to live in a bubble either. And as the last bit, I remember going back to the car and my parents were like, yeah, so you're good now. You don't want to live in a bubble anymore. And I said, well, maybe kind of. And my dad stopped me right there. And he said, you need to make up your mind because if you still do, we're, we can go right back up there and talk to that doctor some more. And I said, you know what? I'm good on the bubble. I don't need it anymore. I think this is more trouble than it's worth. <laughs> so what the fuck? Was Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island my Citizen Kane Rosebud moment? <laughs> I don't know. Kind of. If you don't know what the uh, Citizen Kane Rosebud moment is, um, it's a it's you know, oh a huge piece of artistic expression in cinema. This moment um, in in your childhood where things suddenly shift and you understand that the world has a dark side to it. It's that Rosebud moment, that blossoming point. Um, and it doesn't have to be all bad because th there also is the. Um, implication of blossoming as well but blossoming is the further progression of time it's the loss of innocence if you will um and there's always a dark side to that and the rosebud moment in citizen kane has to do with oh i can't remember but it has to do with the lack of bicycle whether he didn't get it or it was stolen and that became a defining moment for the character so I guess um, in many ways, Scooby-Doo kind of was my rosebud. You know, I've had much more visceral real world experiences since then. Thankfully, nothing genuinely, you know, I've never been held at gunpoint, nothing like that. Thank the Lord. But, you know, I've had, I've had scary moments, most definitely. But nothing compares to that initial terror because the scale of my brain compared to the implication was something that uh, I would, I think I could scarcely find in today's world, you know, in, in, in my life, rather, I would have to be in a really extreme, the equivalent for that. Now for me, realizing that the Scooby-Doo monsters are real when I was four years old, the equivalent for that now would have to be something like, like I've heard stories of people, you know, on like the Navajo reservations where the the legends of the skinwalkers are not skinwalker ranch. That's something different, but you know, it's still the name skinwalker comes from the same thing. Um, but there's stories of people like having skinwalkers come up to their door and stuff like that. Can you imagine being a knock at the door? And then looking through the peephole and seeing some humanoid jackal beast with red eyes straight out of some sort of Lovecraftian horror movie. That would have to be the equivalent of the terror. Um, and I just don't see that ever happening. 
in uh, in my real world adult life. So that terror of my four year old brain absorbing Scooby Doo is something special, and I'm thankfully, uh, uh, quite frankly, I'm very thankful for it. It's a hell of a story now. Um, it's a unique piece of my personal mythology that's helped me uncover bits like so much of that has to do with what I'm interested in now, the the mysticism, the the whole what if factor of the unexplainable ghosts, poltergeists, it, it true crime even. It's crazy. It's crazy. And I don't mean to read into it too much either. It's not like that's a defining piece of my life that I'm constantly going back to, but it is a piece of my life and it's worth some consideration. And so, you know, find your equivalent. I think it's really useful to go back to the media that we enjoyed in our childhoods and decipher those in similar ways that we might our dreams. You know, that's very much the contents of books like personal mythology not exclusively, but that's the mindset. You know, I remember a period where I went back to the classics of my childhood that I knew deeply influenced me. Things like James and the Giant Peach, you know, the uh, the the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory slash Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Um, things like Scooby-Doo, Spider-Man. If these things impacted us enough, it doesn't matter if they're a comic book or a cartoon it doesn't even matter how how much worth they actually have. Some of this after investigation you might realize is not useful. Those might be some of the weeds you need to let die, but it's very important to familiarize yourself with them. Just because they're not active in your life now doesn't mean they didn't play a deep role in some way or another. And then, of course, in the same way that you can analyze media from your childhood, we can analyze the myths from the the romans the greeks the egyptians all of these people all of in and history for that matter not just mythology we can analyze these things and understand bits and pieces not only about the world around us but of ourselves as well and i think that's a good place to wrap it up for now we'll talk more about personal mythology you can uh, you you can be assured of that fact but I wanted to keep this a little bit of a shorter episode, especially considering the last one was three hours. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got some uh, some good bits to chew on there. Don't forget to check out some of those books I mentioned, like uh, Hamlet's Mill. And my books, Dive Manual and Hunt Manual. My website, divemind.net. You know, Twitter, divemind667. Uh, you can go check out some of those uh, comedic bits from the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen on my Instagram, Black Hoodie Alchemy. And I think that's pretty much it for now, folks. Thanks for tuning in. I hope to hear from you next week. Oh, and don't forget, um, you can, if you're listening to this on Spotify, you can actually leave a voice message, uh, like a minute or 90 seconds or something. So feel free, you know, hop on in there. I'll play you on the show. Take it easy, everybody. 
I am the thunder. I'm every single drop of rain. I'm the hunger. I'm every single ounce of pain. I'm the tides. Salt water, ocean, far and wide. I'm hard to find. In your face, in front of your eyes. I'm war, I'm peace. Gas is stripped at the Middle East. I'm the feast. Biblical famine, I am the beast. I'm the cure. The savior of that, you'll be sure. I'm the pure lack of confidence inside the unsure. All things at all times. I'm no one at all. I'm your first kiss. I'm just another kid in the hall. I'm traffic tickets. I'm a kid with asthma swimming. I'm bad nutrition. Bullet holes in your madam's linen. I'm bloods of crips. I'm the blood on your kicks. I'm on the world politics. Entertaining your kids. I'm hip hop. Golden age. Free shows with no pay. I'm young. I'm old. I live forever. Die in a day. Yes, I am. I am that I am. Yes, I am. I am that I am. Yes, I am. I am that I am, yes I am, at the crossroads I am that Yo, I am. I'm the rope in the quicksand that stops you from sinking. I'm a cold glass of water the morning after you're drinking. I'm the words that emerge from the tip of the ink pen. I'm the thought bubble that shows the world what you're thinking. I'm the music, the madness, the melody, the comic, the tragedy, the misdemeanor, and the felony. I'm the secret recipe. I'm a split for the freshest weed. I'm fate, I'm hate, I'm destiny. I'm love, I'm drugs, I'm nerd, I'm thug. I'm known to lace my tree. With rage, cause my brain is bugged. I'm a mastodon connecting with Babylon. Fuck with me, and I am cracking jaws. I'm the bastard cause. I'm the one telling you to pass the bong. I am a recorded, mixed, and newly mastered song. I'm the speakers that you blast them on. Whack rappers, I'm coming after yes, y'all. I, I, I am that I am. Yes, I am. I am that I am. Yes, I am. I am. I am that I am, yes I am, at the crossroads I am that I am. I just wanted to give it.